1: Chase Mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase Bank N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, JPMorgan Chase & Company. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at t slash now. Farm to store in days, not weeks.
0: That's 80 Acres Farms.
2: <laughs> All right. Okay, so getting in, it's
1: really, really low. Yeah. So what you want to do is actually... A
0: friend of mine owns a Tesla Roadster, black, okay. like the Batmobile.
3: You can okay. Kind of slide in. Okay. Whoa.
0: Welcome to the Evening Rocket, a special report on the relationship between science fiction and Silicon Valley and the world of Elon Musk. I'm Jill Lapore. Okay, so that was the ignition.
2: All right. You want to go?
0: Yeah, I do. All
2: right. Let's go. Let's
0: go. This episode is called Iron Man, and it's about the Tesla. I decided to go for a ride.
2: So what I like about the car is it, it really, I really
1: do feel like I'm driving a piece of art.
0: Yeah. Wow! Oh, my God! That's cool. A century ago, in the early days of the automobile, petrol-powered cars won the battle against electric cars. In 1996, a few years before Tesla got started, GM developed an electric car called the EV1. California had just adopted a new zero emissions law. But then, after California revised that law, GM seized its fleet of EVs, all of them. Grieving owners held funerals for their cars.
1: Some might say that to be here gathered today to mourn the loss of a car would be going too far. We are here to say goodbye to more than a car. It is difficult to know what to say at a time like this. To be honest with you, I consulted my rabbi's manual and there was absolutely nothing in it for the burial of a car.
0: (laughs) So when Tesla came out with the Roadster, these people who'd held those funerals, these people went nuts. The Roadster was sleek and fast. It had a range of something like 200 miles. True, it cost about $100,000. But that was supposedly part of the plan. Make electric cars sexy, sell a bunch to very rich people, and use that money to build a more affordable car. Hollywood A-listers signed up, as Musk told NPR.
2: Uh, George Clooney, the, the founders of Google, uh, Larry and Sergey, I, what's the name? Flea from Red Flea from the Red Hot oh, yep. <laughs> okay. yeah, Charlie Peppers, bought a car.
0: Tesla, when it launched that first car, Tesla was a great story, something genuinely new. And not some ethereal thing like Facebook. A physical thing, an engineering marvel. But Musk was a better story. Young, handsome, dashing. Thomas Edison meets Henry Ford meets Elvis Presley with a little Dick Cavett tossed in. Debonair. He'd already disrupted banking and aerospace, now the automobile industry. He wasn't just selling cars to celebrities. He had become one. Or no, or he was becoming something more. Here's how he talked about himself then.
2: Uh, what I'm good at is, well, I think I'm good at, at inventing solutions to problems. Things seemed fairly obvious to me that... Are clearly not obvious to most people. So, and I'm not really trying to do it or anything. I just, just seem like, I don't know, I just, I like, can see the truth of things and, and others seem less able to do so.
0: Elon Musk was becoming a superhero. This time on the Evening Rocket, how Elon Musk became Iron Man.
2: CEO of Tesla Motors, he's the real-life Tony Stark, this guy. Please welcome Elon Musk!
0: The Silicon Valley entrepreneur as superhero is an interesting historical turn, one more way in which Musk's brand of capitalism is tied to science fiction. But this episode, I want to begin by taking a look at Iron Man's origins with the U.S. military during the Cold War.
3: Who or what is the most breathtaking,
1: most sensational superhero of all? Iron Man.
0: Marvel Comics introduced Iron Man in 1963 during the Vietnam
1: War. Rich, handsome, known as a glamorous playboy, constantly in the company of beautiful, adoring women.
3: Look, there's Tony Starr. He's the dreamiest thing this side of Rock Hudson.
1: Yes. Anthony Stark is both a sophisticate and a scientist. A millionaire bachelor. As much at home in a laboratory as in high society.
0: Stark travels to Vietnam to test some new tech. In the jungle, he trips and sets off an explosive and wakes up in captivity to a communist. Aided by a fellow captive, an elderly physicist, he sets to work building a device to save his life.
2: I've done extensive work with transistors. I can design
1: them in any size to perform any function.
0: In the world of Iron Man, you take technology on faith.
1: It works! But this man, who seems so fortunate, who's envied by millions, is soon destined to become the most tragic figure on Earth.
0: Stan Lee, who created the character, said later that comic book readers hated the Vietnam War, So he created a superhero who was a military contractor on a kind of a dare.
3: So I said, I'm going to come up with a character who represents everything everybody hates and I'm going to shove it down their throats.
0: But earlier he told a different story. In 1963, Lee said, most Americans thought that what was going on between North and South Vietnam was a pretty straightforward good versus evil story and would have thought of Tony Stark as the good guy here. Still, Tony Stark was a tragic figure, invincible, but trapped in a machine of his own making. In 2008, Marvel reimagined that tragedy when it brought out what would become some of the highest grossing Marvel superhero movies of all time, the Iron Man franchise, produced by Paramount and starring Robert Downey Jr.
2: Tony Stark. Visionary genius. Today, Tony Stark has changed the face of the weapons industry by ensuring freedom and protecting America and her interests around the globe.
0: The Iron Man films were written by a guy named Jon Favreau. While Favreau was developing the character of Tony Stark, he met with Elon Musk.
2: At age four, he built his first circuit board. At age six, his first engine. And at 17, he graduated summa cum laude from MIT.
0: Musk received delivery of the very first Tesla Roadster in February 2008. Jon Favreau bought a Tesla, too. The first Iron Man movie hit theaters three months later. Iron Man and the Tesla rollout, it was like a double feature. Boy Wonder grows up to save the world by building new machines and revels in his own celebrity.
3: Is it cool if I take a picture with you?
1: Yes, it's very cool.
0: This, too, seems to come from Musk's backstory. Back in 1999, after Musk made his first millions from X.com and PayPal, he was already keen to become a celebrity.
2: I'd like to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. That'd
3: be cool.
0: (laughs) After Iron Man came out, Musk was on the cover of Rolling Stone. The headline read, Elon Musk, aka Tony Stark, wants to save the world. Musk and Stark even look alike. Black jeans, black t-shirt, maybe a blazer, same haircut, a little stubble. In the movie reboot, Stark Industries is manufacturing weapons to be used, not fighting communists in Vietnam, but fighting terrorists in Afghanistan. Tony Stark is super flashy. I'll
1: tell you what, throw a little hot rod red in there. Yes, that should help you keep a low profile.
0: If Elon Musk influenced Tony Stark, pretty soon Tony Stark seems to have begun to influence Elon Musk. Before Iron Man Musk in interviews was modest.
2: The things that worry me are, are, are we going to make a mistake? Our own foolishness, our own errors can, can hurt us. And there's a reason why there's an idiomatic expression about rocket science being hard. Uh, it, it, it really is really hard.
0: If you're not a musketeer, if you've always scratched your head at what people could possibly find appealing about Elon Musk, listen to some of these early interviews. He's a smart, fascinating person with interesting, if grandiose, ideas.
2: Well, I think what I'd like to do is help solve some important problems. So I think in a, in a small way, uh, help build the internet. Uh, and, and then with respect to the, the global warming problem, the, the transition from, from, uh, away from oil and other hydrocarbons to, to something which is clean and sustainable, uh, I hope to have an impact there. And then uh, with respect to space, I hope to have an impact in uh, helping make humanity a multiplanet species.
0: But after Iron Man. Elon Musk seemed to become more like Tony Stark, flashier, brasher. In 2010, in the second Iron Man movie, he had a cameo as himself.
3: Mr. Musk,
1: how are you? Hey. Those Merlin engines are fantastic.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, good idea for an electric jet. You do? Yeah. Then we'll make it work.
0: Elon Musk became a character in the Marvel Universe and on the celebrity circuit. It seems sometimes as if Musk was resisting this role. For instance, in an appearance on the Colbert Report on Comedy Central,
1: people have called you the real Tony Stark. You're trying to do good things, and you're a billionaire. I mean, yeah, that seems a little bit like either superhero or supervillain. You have to choose one.
2: You're trying to do useful things. <laughs>
1: but,
2: I
0: mean, After a while, though, he settled into the role. Okay, I am Iron Man.
2: Uh, but, but eventually you can transform Mars into an Earth-like planet. How would you do that? Uh, you'd, you'd warm it up. <laughs> drop thermonuclear weapons over the poles. <laughs> You're
0: a <super> villain <laughs> Still, I think there's another way to look at this transformation. Maybe Elon Musk becoming Tony Stark had been Tesla's plan all along. Science fiction as a business strategy.
2: Uh, yeah, you cool. have to drive it.
0: I'm not really a car person. I'm more of a bicycle person.
2: Yep, just okay. push. Put on the brake and push D.
0: Okay. But when I went for a ride in my friend's roadster, I'll admit I was super excited to take a turn at the wheel. It's
1: so low. It yeah. It literally feels like you're on a it is, roller coaster um, track.
0: Yeah. Well, did you ride go-karts as a kid?
1: Yes. It's like it's like, like
0: a riding a go-kart.
1: It's that a happens. high-end go-kart. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a good way to I think, think of
0: really, it. Like a
1: really, really fun go-kart. Yeah. yeah.
0: Driving the roadster was a blast. But I wanted to learn more about Tesla's history. So I called up Ed Niedermeyer, a longtime auto industry analyst and author of *Ludicrous: the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors.
1: I think a lot of the very earliest investment in Tesla was not really an investment in Tesla. It was an investment in Elon Musk.
0: Musk didn't start the company. The earliest news stories about Tesla didn't even mention him or else they talked about him only as an early investor. Musk seems to have said about making sure stories about Tesla were stories about him. In 2006, on the Tesla website, he posted the secret Tesla Motors master plan, a clever manifesto that explained the company's strategy. Build sports car. Use that money to build an affordable car. Use that money to build an even more affordable car. While doing above, also provide zero-emissions electric power generation options. But it was also a very canny bit of self-puffery. Call it the secret Elon Musk master plan. He introduced himself this way. My day job is running a space transportation company called SpaceX, but on the side, I am the chairman of Tesla Motors. And in 2008, when both Tesla and Iron Man made their debuts, Musk left the conventional mold of the Silicon Valley entrepreneur behind. He moved to Los Angeles, which is also where Tony Stark lives. In 2009, one of the guys who started Tesla sued Musk for, among other things, slander and libel. He said that Musk set out to rewrite history by claiming he'd founded or created the company. The suit was later settled out of court in a resolution that acknowledged five co founders of Tesla, including Musk. Meanwhile, though, Musk's PR stunts generated just the buzz the company needed.
1: A big part of Silicon Valley is not just making money. Another big part of it is the idea of changing the world and making things cool. The reality is that the the reason Tesla is here today is because Elon Musk is a remarkable storyteller.
0: In some ways, what Musk was doing, a man becoming a brand, is an old game. Colonel Sanders is Kentucky Fried Chicken. Lloyd Grossman is his line of sauces. And then there's this guy.
1: Trump's stakes are the world's greatest stakes, and I mean that in every sense of the word.
0: But Musk did something different. Musk, as Tesla, was irreverent, and he was witty, ironic, whip-smart. The cheekiness of Musk's online persona was new then, even if this voice has since become ubiquitous online, Tesco's sassy Twitter personality say. Musk was sassy and messianic all at once. Not the greatest stake in the world, but the stake that will save the world. Niedermeyer has gotten a lot of harassment for writing about
1: Tesla. I've been labeled by the fans and and the company itself as a hater or, you know, someone with potentially nefarious motivations for for writing about Tesla the way that I do. The reality is, is I I wanted the book to capture what I saw as the complexity underneath this very polarized discourse about it online. And I think that, you know, a lot of that polarization has been a, a conscious strategy it's absolutely not a coincidence that this very polarized culture has, has sprouted up around Tesla and that the fan culture, you know, people call it a cult. I think that Musk knows that if you can force people to either love him and trust everything he says implicitly or hate him and think he's a con man, more people will break his way. And so polarization is a strategic advantage to him.
0: Musk has 55 million followers on Twitter. He has sued his critics. He has damned the media. His Twitter followers tend to gang up on his critics, especially when those critics are women. Musk is always getting into Twitter spats. It's strange. Why is this billionaire online all the time tweeting belligerently about mostly nothing? Why does he need it? Ed Niedermeyer has a theory.
1: Musk's fans need him to promise the impossible. And Musk needs them to give him adulation, even if he doesn't actually deliver on the impossible, he needs them to tend and and nurture and grow, again, what I think ultimately is the most important thing about Tesla, which is the narrative and the image.
0: For Niedermeyer, this relationship is a consequence of the sort of speculative capitalism that involves more speculation than capital.
1: It's a natural outgrowth of the venture capital culture of, of betting on the jockey and not the horse. You know, for a venture capital investor, You don't always have to build a really sustainably profitable business. What you have to do is make sure that at some point down the road, you can pass your investment off to someone who thinks it's worth a lot of money.
0: Tesla almost went bankrupt in 2008, the year Iron Man came out. In 2009, it received a $465 million loan from the US government. It raised $226 million at its IPO in 2010, and in 2013, paid back its government loan. 10 years early. In 2020, it had its first profitable year. But for Niedermeyer, the story of Tesla, which is one of engineering virtuosity and against the odds success, is also a story of precarity for Tesla and for Musk.
1: Even as the richest man in the world, when he, you know, in those days that he is, his position has always been incredibly precarious. And it's because fundamentally... You know a lot of why he's there is it's not just the the narrative, but but also it's it's his risk tolerance. He's an incredibly risk tolerant person. and um you can look at a lot of, of different decisions the company's made and and see that. And you know, with risk comes reward, but risk is also risky
0: as far as risk goes, the striking thing about Tesla to me is how Musk describes it as a company out to save the planet from existential risk buy a Tesla, avert human extinction. This year on Earth Day, President Biden was at the White House chairing a summit on how to avert climate disaster, while Elon Musk was at the launch of a SpaceX rocket carrying NASA astronauts to the International Space Station. The astronauts drove to the launch site in Tesla's. They each had their own SUV with license plates that read, reduce, recycle, and reuse. A key story for Musk as a brand is that he's saving the planet and saving humans from extinction.
3: But is he? Elon Musk is a really, you know, difficult one to parse. He's been very open in saying that, you know, colonizing space is in a sort of a survival strategy, which I think is a thought that has a weird amount of currency out there in the world. And when you think about it, you know in my view just just makes no sense whatsoever elizabeth
0: colbert is a new yorker staff writer who won a pulitzer prize for her book the sixth extinction
3: there are a lot of these tech billionaires who are interested in space obviously as you know and who obviously also see it as a big business um and it's hard to pull that apart too how much of this you know sort of space exploration hype i'm going to call it is On behalf of very potentially very profitable businesses, and how much of it is really this kind of sci fi, um, you know, escape from Earth fantasy. I I really don't know. (laughs) So, then why do you call it hype? Well, I mean, Elon Musk is constantly telling us, you know, when we're going to colonize Mars. But if you (laughs) ask any person seriously involved in, space exploration, are we colonizing Mars the way Elon Musk is constantly proclaiming that we will? And within a very short time frame, they will say, absolutely not. There's absolutely no way that's happening. Mm -hmm.
0: So then there's this other line of thought that I, I confess myself totally perplexed by, which comes from the people who talk about human extinction scenarios, and their calculation is sure, there's suffering here on Earth, but if we don't go to other planets, then humans will become extinct when our planet dies. And so against your global suffering of people enduring poverty and disease, we count the untold numbers of our human descendants whose human potential will be lost if we don't go. Like, it's almost a kind of... Extraterrestrial economics? Have you encountered that existential risk argument?
3: Uh, every species that we have in the fossil record eventually does go extinct. I'm not really predicting, you know, human extinction here, but if you look at the record, it's it's, it's pretty much 100, you know, over time. So the idea that that humans, Homo sapiens, are going to be around for the end of planet Earth as a habitable planet that's so crazily at odds with, as I say, what we know about the history of life. So, so I- embedded in that is this notion of humans as completely separate, completely divorced uh, from evolutionary history and facing this shining future on other planets. And, you know, that is a really interesting idea. It's not one that I find very plausible.
0: I called Colbert to ask her about Tesla, but we ended up talking a lot about SpaceX, since it can be difficult to pull these two visions of the future apart. What struck me most talking with Colbert were her observations about the internal contradictions of Muskism. Earlier this year, Musk announced that Tesla would accept Bitcoin from people to pay for their Teslas, and that Tesla itself had purchased $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. The price of Bitcoin jumped. Musk has been an incredibly avid proponent of
3: cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is a terribly energy-intensive cryptocurrency. Bitcoin mining nowadays is using up roughly 130 terawatt hours of electricity per year, and that's roughly the energy consumption of a country like Sweden. So You know, the internal inconsistencies here, I think prevent him from being a particularly good spokesman for environmental causes. Just doesn't suggest that his ultimate goal is really driving carbon emissions down. The day I talked to Colbert, she'd just published a
0: piece in The New Yorker about Tesla's Bitcoin polluting. Days later, Musk announced that he changed his mind. You could no longer buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. Still, a lot of commentators pointed out that there really was no excuse for Musk's decisions to accept Bitcoin in the first place. How could he not have known that Bitcoin is mostly mined in China and mostly on servers fueled by coal? A writer for the Washington Post asked, had Musk been on a multi-year news fast? In any case, the essential tenet of Muskism remained. Every problem can be solved with technology. It's the reigning philosophy of Iron Man too, the motto of Stark Industries.
2: Everything is achievable through technology, better living,
1: robust health.
0: Everything can also be wrecked through technology. Elizabeth Colbert's new book, Under a White Sky, asks whether we have engineered ourselves so deeply into so many problems, especially climate change, that at this point, the only way forward is to try to engineer ourselves out of them. Stopping carbon emissions is essential, but it's not going to be enough. Maybe we need to invent machines that can eat carbon. Environmentalism used to be largely anti-tech, but it's not anymore, because maybe there's no longer a choice.
3: I don't think there is really a sort of anti-tech environmentalism these days, but there are different strains, and Elon Musk is the avatar of the strain that says, well, humans can just do anything that we put our minds to. We can colonize Mars. We can you know, suck CO2 out of the atmosphere. There's, there are no geophysical limits here that we can't overcome. Unfortunately, I think that's just not true.
0: We approached Tesla for a response to several points raised in the series. But at the time of this recording, we hadn't received a reply. I loved driving the Tesla Roadster. But as I say, I'm not much of a car person. I'm more of a bicycle person. So was H.G. Wells, who once wrote, cycle tracks will abound in utopia. Alas, utopia is never coming. I'll settle for sustainability. And sustainability will require more than just switching out every petrol-powered car for an electric car. There'll need to be fewer cars, and more bicycles, pedestrians, and public transit. And more renewable energy. But Tesla is pioneering that, too. Beyond producing electric cars and making them thrilling, Tesla has done a whole lot for renewable energy, especially with its battery technology. After all, the last part of the company's secret master plan had always been provide zero-emission electric power generation options. In 2017, after a statewide power outage in South Australia, Tesla won a bid to design a battery system for the state and promised to install it in 100 days, as Musk explained at a press conference.
2: This is going to be the largest battery installation in the world by a significant margin. We actually insisted in doing the contract that we be held to the 100 days where it's free. This system will be three times more powerful than any system on Earth. This is not like a minor foray, into the frontier. It's is like, you know, going three times further than anyone's gone before.
0: Tesla delivered in 63 days. The system's still working fantastically well. For South Australians, energy is cheaper and more reliable. Somehow, this sort of thing never gets the Iron Man treatment. It's not sexy. It didn't involve Hollywood or celebrities. It didn't turn on Reddit. It didn't end in a Twitter feud. It wasn't even a science fiction fantasy. And it did not save the planet. It was a smart renewable energy partnership that went well.
2: There was really this opportunity to make a significant statement about renewable energy to the world to show that you can really do a heavy-duty, large-scale, utility-level battery system and that South Australia was up for the challenge.
0: A public-minded infrastructure project. It might just be the most significant thing. Tesla has ever done. Next time on The Evening Rocket, we'll blast off to a different past, to the science fiction vision of the future that Silicon Valley left behind. The Evening Rocket was written and read by me, Jill Lepore. For the BBC, The Evening Rocket was produced by Viv Jones. Oliver Riskin-Cuts was the researcher. The editor was Hugh Levinson. The commissioning editor was Dan Clark. Iona Hammond was production coordinator. Mixing by Graham Puttefoot and original music by Corntooth. For Pushkin, it was produced by Sophie Crane-McKibben and Jake Gorski, who also did the mix and sound design. Production support from Ben nadeff Our executive producer is Mia Lobel. Our operations team includes Daniela Lacan, Maya Koenig, and Carly Migliori. Thanks also to John Schnars, Jacob Weisberg, Maggie Taylor, Heather Fain, Nicole Moreno, and Eric Sandler.